If you have your Bibles with you, you can turn them to Matthew chapter 18. And we're going to be in the first six verses there. If you do not have a Bible, or if you forgot to bring one with you this morning, no worries. Please feel free to use the the Bibles in front of you in the pews. You can find this passage on page 772. And if you don't have a Bible at home, uh, please feel free to take this copy home uh, with you. Uh, Receive it as a gift from First Alliance Church to you this morning. And our hope and prayer over these Bibles is that you will read that and you will know Him, know the Father, know His love for you and those around you. This morning, we're going to be talking about the greatest among us. I'm not talking about the game. I'm not talking about athletes. I'm just talking in general. The greatest among us. There are many lists out there that talks about the greatest. You can go on Google right now and look up the greatest whatever. You can find lists of the greatest athletes, the greatest albums, the greatest actors, the greatest whatever it is that you want to look up. Those who are on these lists are often considered the greatest because of a few factors. Some of it's because of their impact in the world, their impact within their uh, uh, specific area of focus, such as sports or film, or how much they've achieved. People are considered great when other people have seen what they have done, accomplished, or how much possessions they've acquired over time. Take, for example, the story of the great Gatsby. If you're in middle school, you guys can take some notes here. This is spark notes for you. If you're familiar with the story, they call the character in there the great Gatsby. They called him great because of his wealth, his popularity, his persona. All these things he had a lot of made him great. You see, that's, in a way, that, that's what the world tells us what great means. To be considered the greatest, you have to be above all those things. You have to achieve. You have to be the top dog. You have to accomplish so much, which again, I want to, to, to just put this out there, is that pursuing things or being able to, to aim for things to aim higher is not a bad thing until be, unless it becomes an idol in your life. The word of God redefines what it means to be great. Jesus speaks in Matthew 18 verses 1 to 6 about greatness. About the greatest. What does that mean? So if you have your Bibles open, let's read that passage together. It says this. At that time, the disciples came to Jesus, saying, Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And calling to him a child, he put him in the the midst of them and said, Truly I say to you, unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. 
Whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. But whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it will be better for him to have a great millstone fastened around his neck and to be drowned in the depth of the sea. Father, we come before you, and Lord, as we hear this passage, it's, it's one that brings hope, but also one that should raise a caution flag in us. And so, Father, with these mixed emotions, with this passage, Lord, we come before you, and we simply ask, Lord, would your spirit speak through your word? come before you let us help us receive your word this morning in your son jesus name amen so how did we get here how how did the disciples end up asking this question out of the many questions that they could have asked and as you read scripture and you read the gospel testaments they asked a lot of questions how did they end up asking this one though Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? For us to know where this question came from and where it's rooted, let's take a few steps back, and this will actually help us understand our future points uh, today. So when we look back at chapters 16 and 17, and again, we're not going to read the whole two chapters for time's sake, but I do encourage you to do so in the upcoming weeks. Um, But we're going to highlight what what happened in these chapters. So... In these chapters, we see some pretty significant events happen that's recorded, such as Peter's confession of Jesus as a Christ. And again, if you read a little bit more, there's also the rebuke of Peter. The discourse of what it costs to follow Jesus. We see this recording of the transfiguration. We also see the healing of a boy who was demon-possessed. And then another amazing thing is that we see Jesus paying taxes. You know, the story is, it's actually pretty amazing how he does it too. All these things, they lead up to the disciples asking this question, Jesus, who is going to be the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? So imagine the disciples, they've seen all that Jesus has done. And then they're bickering among themselves. They're like, okay, once the kingdom comes, then we have to figure out who's going to be the greatest here. You see, the thing is that they wanted to be remembered. They wanted to have a spot in the kingdom of heaven. This question is ultimately rooted in this selfish ambition, this desire to be great, this desire to get ahead of the game. You know, I, I was, as I was reading this, it's like you can picture Peter, Peter going through his little list or his resume of things that I might be the greatest because I witnessed Jesus do miracles. I walked on water. I confessed Jesus as a Christ. I was the first one to do that. I saw Jesus transformed. The list could go on. And I could imagine as Peter is naming off all these things that are all these moments that he had with Jesus, one of the other disciples interjects and reminds Peter, well, Peter, you were also the only one that Jesus called Satan. 
after getting to a point of disagreement, they figured, you know what? Instead of us trying to figure it out, let's ask Jesus himself. He'll know. He'll have to know. So with, you can imagine, with their head held high, waiting with excitement, anticipating Jesus' answer, hoping that Jesus will say, you will be the greatest. Instead, Jesus goes, he calls a child. And Jesus, being the master teacher that he is, tells them, truly I say to you, unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Why? Why why would Jesus do that? This is the thing is that I believe Jesus wants the disciples to know that before you can even start thinking about being great in the kingdom of heaven, you must first be a child of the Father. You have to place all your hope, all your trust in the Father. You have to be like a child. So the question that is posed to us here is, is your hope and trust and life placed in the Father's redemptive plan, which is in Jesus? You see, you can say that this is the first step if you desire to be great. You see, in the kingdom of heaven, you don't become great by what you've done, how much you make, how gifted you are. But you become great by becoming like a child, by becoming lowly. Now, this was probably most likely a surprise to the disciples. The reason being this is that children weren't looked upon highly in the community, not because they were planning to overthrow the kingdom or planning to raid the temple or, or they were deathly sick as lepers and they were cast out. No, they weren't looked upon highly simply because this. They lacked rationality. They lacked common sense. It's like having Cool Rip next to shaving cream. And if you ask a child which one is which, the chances of them eating shaving cream is pretty high. You see, using all five senses to make the best choice is not a child's motivation. Their motivation is to eat the appetizing cream in front of them. Speaking from experience, I'm just kidding, no. You see, ultimately, they lack judgment. This isn't, this isn't anything to, to downcast children. This is to just simply say, children are trusting of their parents. But to the disciples, to be compared to a child is offensive. But what Jesus wants the disciples and you and I today to know is this. I like how the author and pastor, David Platt, writes, he quotes, end quote, The language of turning and becoming like a child means that Jesus is calling his disciples to a fundamental change. Quote off. The disciples must have a change in their mind. They must have a change in their hearts. From being pridefully knowledgeable to faithfully trusting of the Father. To be childlike but not childish in their pursuit of Jesus. So what's the difference? What's the difference between childlike and being childish? There is a difference. 
Jesus is not calling the disciples to be to have childish thoughts, which ironically they were having. Remember, they're asking who's the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. I can recall moments uh, in elementary school with friends talking about who is the best, who can run the fastest, who 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 can jump the highest, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Who or even. If you work in classrooms, you probably see kids lining up, one trying to cut the other. One saying, I belong in the front. Now, I'll be honest, as great as these conversations of who is the fastest runner or who can jump the highest, as great as these conversations are for killing time and for fellowship purposes... To use these questions to find out where a person is at spiritually or questions such as these can be a doorway for the enemy to walk through and create envy and jealousy among believers. Just a reminder. So this being said, as Jesus is saying, because of this childish question that you are asking, it can lead to other things. So therefore, let's put the playing field out there. You have to be a child before you can even think about anything else. Jesus is calling the disciples to childlikeness. This childlikeness is that of humility. When we approach Jesus, we do so in in humility. Humility means not to be puffed up with pride and ego, but rather in reverence. And this is an amazing thing too, because hear this, coming to Jesus is something that, coming to Jesus in humility is something that everyone who is willing is able to do. What do I mean by that? It doesn't matter what you have or what you don't have. It doesn't matter how much you've accomplished or failed at. It doesn't matter how much you make or don't have. Uh, It doesn't matter how talented or talentless you may be. Approaching Jesus with humility is possible for all. And this is Jesus' call for us to put an end to our selfishness and become reliant on Jesus. It was noted earlier that the question that the disciples were asking, who is the greatest, arised out of this selfishness. And I should add ignorance. But Jesus, in his grace-filled, mercy-filled, love-filled ways, gently corrects the disciples. It is not about how much you're going to do or how much you've done It's not about us. The real question and challenge here is how much are you going to trust Jesus? Verses 1 to 4 sets the tone for the rest of the chapter. And these verses, Jesus reminds us that we must turn and become like children to be in the kingdom of heaven. Again, this doesn't mean that we are to be childish, but to be childlike, trusting the Father. The rest of chapter 18, verses 5 to the end, Jesus teaches about what it means to live as children of the Father in the Father's heart for his kids. So here's a quick preference, though, as as we go into our last two verses. If you have given your life to Jesus, this next part of Matthew 18, verses 5 to 6, 
focuses on this weight of greatness. And we'll get into that in a second here. If you have not given your life to Jesus, please hear this as a message of love. And how you will hear this as a message of love is simply this. Jesus, uh, the Father, God, is serious about his kids. So what do I mean by weight? This weight that we're talking about for the believer. It is a duty and a responsibility that you have as a child of God. In verse 5, we read, it says this, Whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. You see, in the kingdom of heaven, greatness requires you to receive others. We have a responsibility to do so. To receive other Christ followers. Whether they look different, talk differently, act differently. If they are Christ followers, we are called to welcome them. If we were to fast forward a bit into the book of Acts. During the Jerusalem Council in chapter 15, during this discourse, we, there are people arguing, with, arguing about new believers. That they had to do this, they had to do that in order for them to truly be saved. But when Peter spoke, recalling the vision that the Lord had gave him in Acts 10, you can hear the echo of the Lord's words. Welcome those. If they have placed their trust and their life in my hands, welcome them. I can imagine Peter as he's presenting this in front of the Jerusalem council. I remember the Lord's word that because they are children of the Father, we are to welcome them. Verse 6, in the kingdom of heaven, greatness, this responsibility, will require you to care and love. This verse serves, I, will, I, I want to present this verse as a mirror, you can say, to our hearts. Do you receive the children of the Father? Does your action share that, show that? You see, what is in your heart and how it, what's in your heart will eventually be expressed through your actions. If love is in your heart, your actions will show that. If trash, if garbage is in your heart, you're going to give trash. You're going to give garbage. See, some within the church, they say that they love and they care, but their action says otherwise. Some of us in this room have become so comfortable with the role of being a quote, quote, critical one that we don't even try to be nice to other Christ followers anymore. Now, I get that there's accountability. I get that there's correction of the church. Uh, if you continue reading on in Matthew 18, this is where we find the passage of, uh, of if a brother sins against you. There's a place and a time for that. But when you're intent, when your heart is to challenge instead of trying to understand, 
when your actions, whether that is writing a discouraging note to a fellow Christian or brother, or demeaning another, gossiping, the list can go on. What are your intentions truly? Is it truly to receive others, other Christ followers? Or is it honestly to keep them out? Does your heart radiate the love of Christ to those around you? See, this is what Jesus wants us to know is that, as as it was said earlier, the father cares for his kids and he's going to protect his children, even from themselves. Those who has the honor of being parents, you guys probably know, somebody can talk a bunch of junk about me and I don't care. But if you start talking stuff about my child, that's a different story. Now imagine the father. The father is like, okay, I know people are going to, to, to be angry. I know people are going to say stuff about me. But when you're going to be discouraging and breaking down and tearing down my child, that's a different story. And Jesus goes on to share this hard saying for us in verse 6. Whoever causes one of these little ones who believes in me to sin, it will be better for him to have a great millstone fastened around his neck and be drowned in the depth of the sea. Now this verse is often associated and interpreted that Jesus loves children. And and it's true. Jesus loves children. I think it's very telling of the character of Jesus. When we look at it, when Jesus called for a child and a child came to him, is that Jesus was probably very, very approachable. And I think that's part of what Jesus is saying, but I think there's more to this. So let's dive in a little bit more. So a small recap for us to, 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 to uh, understand this. Jesus says that to be great, we must turn and become like children. That means that we are to come to Jesus with a heart of humility, trusting the Father. Jesus goes on to let us know that those who do come to the Father with a heart of humility is a child of the Father. It doesn't matter what age or what season they may be in. You could be 55 and say, I place my trust in Jesus. Again, you, even as as a 55-year-old, you are a child of the Father. You can be 80. And once you place your trust in Jesus, you become a child of the Father again. Therefore, we see this. The text tells us, as a child of the Father, we are to receive one another. And when you receive, you care and love. All this to say this, if you place your trust in Jesus and the saving work of Jesus Christ, you are a child of the Father and you are mentioned in this verse and you have a responsibility to uphold. The little ones that Jesus is talking about are the children of God. Doesn't matter what age, doesn't matter what season, doesn't matter what experience you may have. If you love Jesus, if you place your trust in him, You are a child of God. And as a child of God, we should also know the Father's heart for his children. As it was stated earlier, 
The father is serious about his kids. If you mess with his children, if you mess with one, especially if one who has come to know the Lord, who is a fresh believer, a new believer. But if you did something that caused that person to turn away from him, what Jesus is saying, it's better for you to die this graphic death than to face the wrath of God. So here's what I want to challenge us with. This hard saying. Because it's from the Lord, we should take this incredibly serious. If you have found yourself, or you have found that you are someone who has pushed someone away from the faith, confess that to the Lord. I think that's as simple as I can put it. If you are someone who has pushed someone away from the faith, whether if it's through your actions, through your words, confess that to the Lord. If you're someone here this morning who has walked away from the church because of the harm caused by the very people within the church, My heart extends to you. And I pray that the Lord will heal those wounds. And from those very wounds, you will pour out his grace, his mercy, his kindness, and love to those who needs it. As we conclude our time in the word this morning, what does this mean for us? My hope is this, is that this this section of Scripture serves as a reflection, a mirror for you and I in our spiritual walk. This is a hard saying. I'm not going to deny that. We're not going to deny that. But as we said earlier, because Jesus said this, we should really think about it. And although it's it's as a statement, it serves as a reflection question for us. This mirror for us to look into and say, am I a follower of Christ? Does my actions show that? To those within the body of Christ? To those neighbors around where I live? That's the first question and challenge. As simple as that may be, it's a hard question to answer. If you sense that there is someone that you have wronged or in need of forgiveness from, my, my, my plead, encouragement for you is this. Stop waiting. Stop stalling. Go to them. Seek forgiveness. Seek reconciliation. Seek restoration. You see, this is, again, if we were talking about the Father's heart, this is His heart. We preached a few weeks ago about the prodigal son. That the Father's love and the Father's heart is to reconcile and to restore. Because this is the Father's heart, He is faithful to do so. 
and more so because we are his children. So my plea to you, do not wait. If you're someone who has experienced pain and harm from a church, My prayer and hope is that we as a church here will be a place, a safe place for you. That we will listen and that we will champion you. To love you and to restore you and say, this is what the love of Christ looks like. So the challenge for us as a church, it's there. Are we willing to do so? Let's pray. Father, as we conclude our time this morning, Lord, I pray that these words from your son Jesus will be stitched upon our hearts. That as we go forth from here, that we will know that we are children of the Father. And with that, Lord, we are called, and there is greatness in that. And so, Father, we say thank you, and we praise you. At the same time, Lord, the challenge and the weight of greatness lies before us. Some of us in this room We may identify with someone who has turned somebody away from the faith. And so, Father, if we find ourselves at that point, Lord, we ask, we confess that to you. We repent from those actions. If we are somebody in this, if we're in this, if if you're in this room and you find that you are someone who has been hurt by the church, hurt by people in it, lay that at Jesus' feet. Allow his spirit to heal you. Allow his words to encourage you that you are not alone. The Father is serious about his children. And so he is serious about you. He loves you. He cares for you. He desires you to know him more and more and more. To be reconciled. To be restored. To be redeemed. So Father, we come before you. Thank you for your word. Pray all this in your son Jesus' name. Amen.